A Million Likes is brought to you by Willa. Willa helps creators and freelancers get paid super fast for their brand collaborations. Gone are the days of waiting 30, 60, or even 90 days for payments. Using Willa, you press a button and get paid immediately. Every time and for every client. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. Download from the App Store today and check it out for yourself. Born in what many Chicagoans refer to as summertime shy, when I think back on my life, I've always been chasing something. An opportunity, a dream, a girl, but in all, really a purpose. Growing up, you may have thought from the outside looking in that it should all have been set up to be a perfect family picture. My father, the charismatic, young, tall, dark, and handsome firefighter. My mother, the ambitious, fair-skinned, pretty girl who cherished her four children and will go to the ends of the earth for them. My oldest brother, Brandon, my younger brother, Mario, my sister, Lauren, who we affectionately call Peaches. But that picture-perfect family had some real issues behind the lens. From the time I was a little boy, some of my first memories I have were not of family vacations or even dinners at the table. It was of my mother and my father fighting or always complaining about money or the lack thereof. We lived a simple life in a small three-bedroom apartment on the south side of Chicago where there aren't many trees, but a bunch of liquor stores and gas stations, and homelessness was very apparent on every corner in that neighborhood. The idyllic images that little boys have of firefighters didn't exist in my world. My father had a bit of a temper, and it didn't take much to set him off. One day, I remember him fixing a table, and he'd gotten so frustrated, he just started slamming his fist down and broke the table. I remember being so calm in a lot of these moments as I tend to be at other times of my life. Instead of fear, I've always been trying to figure out what made people act out in certain ways. That wouldn't be the only thing he'd take his frustration out on. He'd also start taking his frustrations out physically on our mother. It wasn't long before we learned that my father had a drug abuse problem, and he'd begun staying gone for days at a time. One time when he came back to our home, he even tried to chop the door down with an axe while my mother yelled screaming inside. Watching my mother try to figure out how she could keep us safe while trying to figure out what was going on not only in her life but in her marriage gave me great admiration for her. She would always put us first. She got a restraining order and we moved to another part of town where she would try to start her life as a single mom of four. But my father wouldn't take no for an answer. He would then begin to stalk her, causing my uncle to move in with us. Different family members would always be around to keep some sense of normalcy. Unfortunately, my mother wouldn't be the only one of her four sisters to endure domestic violence. They all did. Escaping my father again. My mother moved us to the Calumet Park area in the south suburbs of Chicago. It wasn't much different than the city, but it was a fresh start. My father had entered rehab, and my mother had started barber college, where she met another young barber. Marcus. He was 11 years younger, with four children of his own. But he always treated us nice and with respect. He was the first real example of what a father was in my life. All didn't go well, though. My older brother, Brandon, once a straight-A student, had begun to succumb to the stress of my parents' evolving relationship and the environment around him. He started to associate with known gang members, and I was right behind him. 
because he's always been my role model. I even formed my own little crew, four to five guys who were ready to do whatever my brother told us. But the final straw for my mother was when a rival gang spray-painted their symbols on our garage. She has seen one too many stories of Chicago's youth dying due to gun violence. Just a few weeks later, she and Marcus moved us to Texas. Texas was different. There were trees, fresh air, a basketball court. My brother even started getting back on the right track in school. Texas was looking pretty good for us until I realized this was the first time attending a school where there were hardly any black faces. I struggled with a learning disability that made me feel inadequate, and this was the first time I've been called the N-word. It made me feel as if I didn't belong. I was even asked if I wanted to sit outside the classroom during Black History Month. This wasn't the place for me. I knew then, if I wanted to be successful, it would have to be through a non-traditional way. Things weren't going any better at home either. While Marcus was a great guy, he brought along a familiarity. Drug abuse. He disappeared for weeks on end. I remember being the most broken, the most hungriest I've been in my entire life. My mother worked at IHOP across the street, so she would try to bring us home extras when she could. And because she tried to keep our father involved whenever he asked, she let him come visit in hopes that maybe he would help our situation out. But instead... He stole the check from a drawer and left us with less than we had beforehand. Seemed like whenever there was any hardship, the things these men would do is leave their women to fend for themselves and her kids and just make things worse. Before I knew it, Marcus had returned, and he promised that he was done with that part of his life. And because we had all become a little homesick and Texas didn't turn out to be all it was cracked up to be, my mother packed us up and we headed back to Chicago. Our new home was quaint, located across the street from a bar, nestled next to the train tracks. Once we settled in, my mother and Marcus started their new lives together. They started a candy store out of the house and soon after a barbershop. At my new school, I found myself fitting in just a bit more. It was the first time I can remember being noticed by girls, and the one shy kid I was slowly started fading. I was able to make new friendships as well as join a basketball team. Over the summer before I entered high school, I started to change the way I dress, and my older brother saw the transformation of me into pretty boy Steve. I even had the classic genuine curls to match. It would only be a year later that the most incredible thing happened to me. I met my future wife, Kim. My friend and I were doing what we pretty much always did, playing basketball and walking around the neighborhood, seeing if we could meet girls. We spotted them, and we played a hand game, to see who would talk to who. At the time, I didn't know my future hinged on a game of rock, paper, scissors. She was dressed in a black shirt and khaki shorts. And after some chit-chat about where I've seen her a few times, I asked for her number. But she was playing a little hard to get, so she took mine down instead. From my first conversation on the phone, we've been inseparable ever since. She'd come over to my house, we would talk on the phone constantly, spend hours on her front porch, Later, it became a thing that if you roll past her house, you most likely see my reddish-orange Chevrolet Cavalier parked outside. As the next couple of years of high school passed, we moved into a better neighborhood with freshly manicured lawns, and my mother started a couple of successful in-home daycare businesses. And my stepfather was an entrepreneur. You could say he was a jack-of-all-trades. He would be cutting hair at 7 a.m., helping someone move at noon, fixing the car radio by 2 p.m., 
in installing hardwood floors by five. Seeing these two, one with the vision and people skills, my mother, and the one with the hustle and work ethic, my stepfather, shaped me into thinking that anything is possible because growing up, they didn't have regular jobs. It was the first time I saw them with money. My grades were never that good, but because of my mother's persistence, I was able to take special courses to raise my grade point average and got accepted into a private college. She was adamant I explore the world on my own in fear of me getting sucked into the fast life. And since my older brother was already away in his fourth year of college, just down the road from where I will be attending school, it would be a great transition. But before I would head off to college the next semester, Kim was sexually assaulted by some boys she thought she was friends with. After receiving that call from her sister, I was hurt, panicked, and it was a defining moment in my life because I found myself outside of where they said it happened with a group of friends who were ready to do whatever. But right before we did something stupid, the police showed up. My life could have gone on an entirely different trajectory right then, but it also made me fall in love with her again after seeing her the next day. She didn't know how to talk to me, but it made me realize just how much I loved her and I never wanted anything or anyone to hurt her ever again. My mother also took this opportunity to take him under her wing and became like another mother figure. I went away to Lincoln College, right down the road from Illinois State University, where my brother attended school. It was so different. It was my first time away from my parents, and I felt free. I stayed not in a typical dorm, but in an apartment-style setting, where I met my three roommates, who were also from the Chicagoland area, but they had different experiences than I had growing up. I remember it being my second time at the point really being around white people. It was so refreshing to see a guy playing a guitar under a tree. It was just like TV. Right then I knew this is where I wanted to be, away from all the people who were okay with whatever life was going to hand them, having fun, hanging with my brother, and just enjoying the moment. That didn't last too long, because not long after a visit to my school, Kim told me she was pregnant. I wasn't ready to lose my freedom. What did this mean for me? Will we even be together? Teenage romances don't last like that, especially with her being in high school and me now in college. Everyone I knew kept telling me to convince her to get an abortion. But after a talk with our parents, we decided we would move forward with the pregnancy. Our firstborn will be born over the summer break in a South Suburban hospital. The moment I held him, I knew I wouldn't be like my dad, and I would do whatever I could so he didn't have to feel that sense of abandonment. Because my mom knew that she would not let me quit school, she said that she would pick up the slack and help with the care of the baby, and Kim moved in with us until the break was over. Kimberly went to Illinois State University, and just months later, we would learn that our son suffered from a rare genetic disorder called septo-optic dysplasia that would affect his vision. I didn't know how to feel. I was naive and knew whatever needed to be done, my mom would handle it. While Kim lived in another apartment down the road, we did a lot of the family thing, but in college fashion. Late nights, dropping our son off at daycare, therapy sessions, and going to class in between. We then realized our son was not getting the proper care in a smaller region. It needed to be by some specialists. So Kim decided to move back to Chicago and moved back in with my family. It was the perfect excuse for me to go back to what I wanted so badly, my freedom. 
We would start a long-distance relationship while I went further away to college at a bigger university to finish out my degree. I'm now settled on criminal justice and sociology. Since my older brother was now in law school, I felt I could find a career in that field as well. This was a true college experience, and I was able to mix going to all the parties with my entrepreneur skills and began party promoting. After some time, our son showed a lot of progress, and we began to see that his therapies actually had worked well. He'd fallen on a lower spectrum of the disorder and suffered mainly from a visual impairment. In a natural progression, Kim and I began to discuss her coming down to Southern Illinois University and attending school so we could be together. I never felt like I didn't want them there, and I had gotten the experience I felt like I needed. Once they were both there, we started our family life in campus housing, and I worked on campus as a maintenance man. I distinctly remember getting on the campus bus system one day and running into a friend who said, Man, Steve, look at you. You look like the dad going to work with his cheese sandwich for lunch. That really hit me. Is this how people saw me? Washed up? I mean, I didn't feel too different at the time. We went on dates, we had fun together, and we were now expecting our second child together, another son. Then, right before the birth of our second son, I learned my father had stolen my identity once I tried to apply for a credit card. He found my social security number in a box that he had access to, and because our names are so similar, he just ran with it. My father racked up over $20,000 worth of debt in my name, and left me to deal with the pieces. Then, just months after my son was born, I get some of the worst news of my life. My sister called us right after a date night and told me my younger brother Mario had been a passenger that was ejected from a car because of a drunk driver. I was caught off guard. I was in finals week, and I just talked to him right before he headed out the door to go to the party. He and my sister were at together. He was just a few months away from joining Kim and I at the same university so he also wouldn't find himself mixed up in the Chicago horror stories. We immediately got on the road and drove the six-hour trek to Chicago in just four hours. But by the moment I arrived at the hospital doors, I was met by a sea of family members who told me my little brother had just passed away. I couldn't do anything but run towards the parking lot. I knew that everything happens for a reason, and I couldn't just crawl under a rock or stay mad at God for taking one of my best friends from me. I had to continue on because failure is not an option. Just a week later, I gave the eulogy at his homegoing service. He was so popular, it was held in the convention center, and it was standing room only. There were so many people there to pay their respects and made me realize I had to keep his memory alive forever. Just days later, my brother and I would merge a phrase I coined and lived by in my college years with my brother's nickname to start a clothing brand called Fineo Rio which was an acronym for failure is not an option when you're real initiative-oriented. The whole point of the movement was to showcase that no matter the circumstances, you have the power inside of you to create the world around you. Hi, this is Kim from Millennium Mary. I hope you've enjoyed getting to know some of your favorite creators on this season of A Million Likes. Check out previous episodes where you normally listen to podcasts and stay tuned for season two. Back at school, I completed the summer semester with my last final with tears in my eyes and I finally graduated after five years. After my graduation party, I knew that after being together for years and 
having two children, it was time to move on to the next step in our relationship. I can't say I felt any pressure to do so, but I knew Kim wasn't going to sit around and wait for forever. Plus, since I knew everyone was still reeling from the loss of my brother and one of my cousins being sent to prison for attempted murder, I knew my family needed something positive at this time. It was also a time my parents made a big change. My mother was so grief-stricken, she moved almost immediately out of our family home. Because my sister didn't want the attention of going back to the same high school with all eyes on her, she decided to come back to school with us. And because she didn't want to spend her senior year going at it alone, my younger cousin, who was also a senior at the time, came to live with us. So, here we are, barely old enough to drink, with two teenagers and two kids. I didn't really mind, because growing up, our home was always filled with cousins, friends, dogs, random people stopping over, and just overall the place to be. I admit, it was a little different being in charge of two teenage girls. They tested my patience, but they were really great babysitters. Just a few months after the proposal, we decided to get married over Kim's spring break. I was fresh to death in a white suit with a pink blazer, and she stood in all white looking just like a black Barbie doll. I made sure to bring my brother around me by shaving Rio in the back of my haircut. It just felt right to be starting a new chapter with my wife. Returning back home, myself, Kim, and the kids moved in with my parents in the Beverly area. Just a little while later, Kim was told she had to go back to college for another semester to complete some required credits in order to graduate and receive her degree, while I stayed home with the kids. Now the clothing line was starting to gain some real traction. We were able to empower the entire city of Chicago. We had hundreds of people with the word Fineo tattooed on them and even more people wearing the clothes that not only looked good, but stood for something. Kim returned from school after graduating and we were expecting a new baby girl. Now that we had spent time apart and I had the freedoms I had forgotten about again, I began to question if my purpose of keeping my brother's name alive could be halted by the pressures of Mary life. I felt suffocated. I now had to answer to another person. I couldn't come and go as I pleased. I had to check in. She knew all about my finances and our communication that was once great was now off. I had started to feel like she didn't understand what I could be building. What she thought was late nights, party promoting, hanging with the guys, the attention and avoiding responsibility was networking in my eyes. And now, I felt like I was going to push the clothing line into the stratosphere. But I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed the lifestyle. And the more I was in it, I felt like the grass was a whole lot green on the other side. I was the only 20-something year I knew with all this responsibility. And when I asked my mother and the men around me, their advice was, you don't have to be friends with your wife, and you don't have to bring your outside self home. This reaffirmed that willful ignorance and those youthful belief that maybe marriage just wasn't for me. Yes, I loved her and my kids, but every one of my aunts, uncles, everyone in my life, none of them had a successful marriage. So I decided to play the fence. I'd enjoyed the life my brother missed out on, and I tell Kim I didn't want to do this anymore. One night, on my way out to test the waters, as luck would have it, my car caught a flat tire. As I walked into the house, irritated, she was saying that we should talk. We had already seen a pastor who gave us advice that Kim should just roll over and give me sex whenever I wanted to and take her out sometimes. Honestly, it was all just whack to me. 
It just seemed like marriage wasn't for me. She asked me if I wanted to see the pastor one more time. And at that moment, after months of disconnection, going in different directions, even after leaving the hospital the night our daughter was born to go to a party to network, quote unquote, she still wanted me. And at that moment, I knew no one would love me more than her. We went full Usher confessions. From the time we met up until the moment we buried our souls, I explained my fears of giving my entire self to someone who had the power of hurting me, how I didn't want to become a washed-up has-been, and how I hadn't seen her for who she really was. I gotten caught up in who I thought she was. She told me a few things that definitely set me straight, and how she never wanted to play by these societal roles. She had felt suppressed, and she wasn't happy either. We've both been so busy focusing on our children, the bills, and the craziness in life. By that time, my stepfather had returned using drugs again. And at this time, Kim's sister had also been diagnosed with renal failure. We forgot to focus on us. 100% transparency and clarity was exactly what we needed. We both then decided that that day we would be all in. We didn't want to be like everyone else. We had already been in talks to move out of the home with my parents because my mom and Kim would find themselves in a few disagreements, and it was putting a strain on our relationship. So we moved our move date early. We packed up our bags, and we moved our family of five, with two kids still in Pampers, 700 miles away to Atlanta. Because growing up in the same environment for them was not an option. So it was just us, some savings, and a dream to do life our way. As you can imagine, Moving with a family of five and having no jobs can get pretty expensive. So the savings dwindled and the alarm bells went off. We got jobs. And when I was given a better opportunity at another company, we were able to move into a bigger place. I was still doing the clothing line with my brother and my brother's best friend, who had now become the father of my sister's child. But my heart just wasn't in it anymore. We were going in different directions. I had started to read a lot of self-help books and focus more on my relationships with myself, my wife, my children, and God. Kim had also started a YouTube channel and gotten a full-time job. But soon after, he had a panic attack, and after a few visits to the hospital for a thyroid issue, the stress of trying to be superwoman wasn't for her. I was adamant that we started taking our health seriously. We started our health journey together while I attended coaching school. I'd always been interested in success stories, and I was empowered by the new information that I was receiving. And I could start seeing it in my own life. We had a brand new car. Our credit scores were almost perfect. We had been able to travel. Our kids were good. And I was actually best friends with my wife. Life was good. So good, my coach said I should start relationship coaching with my wife. A husband and wife duo. Taking his advice, I convinced Kim to stop the YouTube idea and work with me. Crazy, right? We've been so solid in our own relationship and marriage for years. At that point, I felt like we may be able to really help somebody. At this point, my parents had started another business and had purchased a property just one hour outside of Atlanta. Always the idealist. I had this bright idea that we should quit our jobs and move to the country and stay rent-free. The school we thought the kids would attend, they wouldn't. The trailer, which had only been partially renovated, didn't have clean drinking water or a fully functional sink. The nearest Walmart and restaurant were 20 minutes away. In the internet business we wanted to start, you guessed it, there was no real access to the internet. And free rent was not. 
I learned that there were no free rides, even with family. We were bleeding money, and we put 11,000 miles on our new car in just five months. It was time to go before we were stuck there. So we moved our little family to another suburb outside of Atlanta in an 1,100-square-foot apartment. And just a month later, Kim would get the word that her father had passed away after a battle with dementia. And on top of that, my sister would decide that she also wanted to change her environment after a family downsize, and she asked to move in with us. My immediate reaction was no, but I felt like I had to say yes. Because over the years, not only had her child's father lived with us, but so had Kim's sister and her children as well. So she moved in. And let's just say there's a difference between knowing someone and living with someone. Not long after her daughter had also moved in with us. Yes, you count it right. Three adults, four kids, and an 1,100-square-foot apartment. We began to realize we had very different perspectives about life. And unfortunately, as a coach, I tried my best to bring attention to some of the behaviors I noticed, but it fell on deaf ears. Just months after I moved back from the country, and less than a year before we jumped, I was now at one of the brokest points of my life. I am driving Uber to make ends meet. To say I felt like a failure would be an understatement. I felt like I let my wife down. (laughs) I let myself down. I used to have to take long walks, pray and give myself affirmation so I wouldn't lose my mind. Credit card bills piling up, destroying my once 750 credit score. All of this going on while our business was at a standstill. We were so stressed and overwhelmed, I would start drinking in the afternoon to take my mind off of things. We knew if we were going to do something to help people and help them change the way they view relationships, we would have to do it outside of the box. But what? Up until that point, African Americans only had two ways to look at marriage. One through the lens of the media, which is just broken homes, dysfunction, drama, chaos, divorce, and alimony and the other through the lens of religion. But I had an idea how we could bridge the gap between Jesus and culture and offer a fresh perspective. But how? Nothing like that had ever been done. And right now, my life is in turmoil, and I don't know how we're going to be able to afford Christmas gifts. So I started praying to God to remove anything and everyone from around me that was not there to help me with my purpose or my vision. Because the time for moping around and acting sad was over. And literally... No more than two months later, I had what seemed like a minor disagreement with my sister that turned out to be an entire family feud. Let's just say that for years I didn't speak to anyone in my family for what I perceived as disrespect to my wife. So my sister was gone. My family was gone. The phone stopped ringing and it was just me, my wife, my kids, and our dream. And the peace? I can't really explain it. It's like I got so clear on what I wanted and how we were going to get there. Only a month or so later, Kim and I were sitting on the couch having one of our marriage meetings, and we finally had the clarity of how we would showcase a different side of love within the African-American community, specifically marriage. It was our aha moment. We started searching Instagram with different names and combinations, and we decided on Married Millennial, which of course was taken. We even tried to message the owner to get it. He left us on red. So we said, let's switch it up. Millennial Mary makes sense, right? I mean, what's anything before you keep saying it? Just a few months later, we reached our first 10,000 followers, and we had finally made it as creators. It was amazing because up until that point, we always said 10,000 followers was like our grail goal. We thought tons and tons of people would never follow a brand with the name Married in it. 
I can remember going to the store and getting a cheap bottle of champagne to celebrate our milestone. We started to see celebrity followers join the community, like Niecy Nash and Jordan Sparks. I mean, as a creator, what bigger validation can you have on social media other than someone with millions of followers following you? Because these accounts are verified, they usually show up first in likes and comments, which then gives you even more social proof. Just making the average person want to pay more attention to what you're doing. Because if their favorite celeb is paying attention, then why shouldn't they? The moment we knew it was official is when other pages began to pop up just like ours, taking our content or copying the way we were doing things. They say imitation is the biggest form of flattery. And to me, this was a good indication that our idea that we put together was finally now a real thing. Now, my wife Kim doesn't feel this way. She is very, very, very sensitive about what she creates, and it absolutely grinds her gears to have something that she put her mind into ripped off. But I've explained many times that anything that's great is always going to have a rip-off version. I've realized the biggest obstacle I've had to overcome was finding a way to become successful on my own terms with the family of five to support. It's like, if success means you have to work three times harder than with children, that means you have to work six times harder. Their homework doesn't stop because you have an idea. They still need clothes, shoes, food, and having our oldest son with a disability just made it even harder. I decided years ago that I would have to go after my dream or I would die inside. I could not be one of those dads that just shut up, put his head down, went to work, and paid the bills. My kids were going to see firsthand what this dream tracing looked like. I mean, after all, how can I tell them to follow their dreams and I didn't follow mine? Since kids pay more attention to what you do than what you say, it will be best to lead by example and bring them out on my journey with me. I can remember searching online for books, hope, inspiration, something that could lay out some sort of blueprint of how people with families and children went on to create lives that they loved. I mean, this success thing I keep reading about and hearing about couldn't only be for single people, right? Crazy thing is, that magic aha moment never came. We just had to become the change we wanted to see. And hopefully, one day, someone would look at our story and get inspired at how two teenage parents from Chicago became so influential and help others to see the way that we create, maintain, and view our relationships just a little bit differently. If I could give someone some words of advice for a better understanding of what marriage is, it would be to be transparent for who you really are, what you battle with, and what you want out of life. Communication is like air to relationship, so you have to be open. Be willing to serve. People always go into relationships thinking what can they get, but what they really need to be asking is what can they give. Relationships should be a race to the back of the line. Always being willing to put your partner's needs before your own. Two people operating like this is a real recipe for success. And lastly, privacy is power. Everyone doesn't need to know everything about the inner workings of your relationship. Too many cooks in the kitchen is never a good thing. A Million Likes was brought to you by Willa. Download Willa from the App Store today and get paid super fast for your brand collaborations. Go on out the day of waiting 30, 60, or even 90 days for payments. 
Using Willa, you press a button and get paid immediately. Check it out for yourself.